0: Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. Please join in the words for lighting our chalice. We light this chalice. Now, please take a deep breath and listen. Not just with your ears, listen with your whole body. Feel first the silence, then the sound as it rises up out of the nothingness. Feel it rise and reach, searching, longing, striving. Feel it seeking the deepest truths. and then feel it fade away, releasing, quieting, receding back into the silence. Breathe deeply into the wholeness of you and listen. Wherever two or three shall gather in my name, there I am with them, so says Jesus in the book of Matthew. In the freedom of truth and the spirit of Jesus, we unite for the worship of God and the service of all, so says the Ames Covenant of my childhood Sundays. So many of us come with memories and words from long ago, some on the tips of our tongues, some barely half-remembered some still resonant, some so discordant that the very hearing can hurt. Maybe some of us gather in Jesus' name, maybe some don't. I don't. Maybe some of us unite for the worship of God, maybe some of us don't. I don't. But the words still hold truth. They stay stuck in my mind and on my tongue because somewhere there is truth. Wherever two or three gather in love, their love grows and grows. This is a truth I know. In the freedom of truth and the spirit of love, we unite to make meaning and to serve the good of all. This is a commitment I make. Here we gather, two, three, twenty, a hundred. Here we unite toward a common purpose. Here we seek and we strive. We long and we reach trying over and over to build something good, something of value, something lasting, something loving. Here we adapt to what is needed now, keeping the memories of what is good and changing the words to make them last. Here we gather to find peace, make meaning, grow love, deepen our lives, and find and find again truths old and new. Here we gather because it matters to be together. It matters to be together. Because together is how we survive. Together is how we thrive. It is good to be together. There is so much happening in the world. If you pray, now is a good time. (laughs) If you meditate to center yourself for the work ahead, now is a good time. If you use the quiet to reflect on what might be and what you desire, now is a good time. So put down anything you're holding. Let your body get as comfortable as it can. Settle your feet onto the floor. Unclench your jaw. Roll your shoulders back. Let your fingers... Rest loosely. Let your toes feel your connection to the solidity beneath you. And take a deep breath. Take another and take it slowly. Try as you breathe in to count slowly to three. And then count again to three as you exhale. Keep breathing. There is so much to hold, it can feel overwhelming, paralyzing. Our bodies and minds and souls can long to freeze, to flee, to pretend, to ignore, to exhaust themselves in crying. There is so much to hold. So many truths about how we hurt each other, about the anger and pain and fear and hatred About the death and sadness and loneliness can make us feel like we are this close to breaking. Like a single touch will make us crack. Breathe. I know it's hard. I know the feeling is real, it is mine too. But we are here together. It is hard. So breathe. Slowly and deeply. Just breathe, my friends. because there are other truths, other truths that we can reach out and grasp, other truths to which we can clutch tightly, truths about what was and what is and what still can be. There is so much care. The gentle arms that hold us close in our sadness and pain There is so much fierceness. The sturdy hands that build and create in the face of destruction. There's so much connection. The teary eyes that meet ours and let us know that we are not alone. There's so much beauty. The Earth that moves that grows and breathes and keeps fighting to live in spite of us. There is so much compassion. The kind words softly spoken that encourage us to risk and try and fail and get up again. There is so much mercy. the acts of forgiveness that acknowledge the humanness of failure. There is so much love. The hearts that rise alongside ours and will not back down. There's so much hope. The life that grows, insistent and defiant, refusing to give up on what is possible. These are as true as any hurt and pain. Perhaps even more true. Pain can heal. Love never dies. As we come into silence, let go of the truths that harm and freeze and defeat, and hold tight to the glorious truths that free and breathe. It is hard, but we know the truths that make it easier. Even in the worst of times, may we never lose sight of what our hearts deeply know. So may it be. Throughout my time as a doctoral student, I attended First Unitarian Church in Philadelphia. (laughs) Like the congregation I had grown up in, it was Unitarian, fighting its way toward a better balance between our two inheritances. It's an urban congregation in a city filled with students that come and go, Families that moved to the suburbs when the children reached school age. You know the story. It was a funny congregation back then, struggling in so many different ways, but with an amazing and solid core of people that I grew to love. The building itself was built in 1885, designed by Frank Furness. Furness was a well-known Philadelphia-area architect and was also the son of the congregation's first minister, the congregation had begun life as a lay-led institution, as so many of our congregations did. If you've never been, it's a true church building with a bell tower and a spire, admittedly not very tall. There's a huge pipe organ. It's dark inside. It feels old and stately, filled with history. And all around the walls are stained glass windows, and the content of the windows mm-hmm. is much what you would expect, memorial themes and stories from the Bible. And in the front, above the dais, is a huge Tiffany window. For years, as the minister and guest ministers preached sermons about justice and mercy and kindness and the state of the world, I stared at this window. That's what it looks So you can see it in the picture. There is this formidable angel, solemn, arms outspread, wings wide in the background, and the central circle is surrounded by smaller windows with other, more cherubic angels. And the line that's quoted, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's a line, of course, from the Beatitude portion of the Sermon on the Mount, which we read earlier. I spent many years, Sunday after Sunday, with that image, confronting the lazy and confusing theology of my childhood, confronting the question of what I truly believe in, confronting the challenge of language up against my Unitarian Universalist openness, confronting the reality of the world around me. The world is quite hard to bear right now. As we sit here together, Australia is burning, Puerto Rico is shaking, climate change is coming fast and furious at all of us, and even those of us who have managed to elude its grasp so far are in for a very rude awakening very soon. The earth itself is in crisis, challenged to its core by our feckless and reckless behavior. Life as we know it is in the balance. And there's just no denying that. We created an unbelievable mess that could very easily result in the death of humanity. As we sit here together, there is imminent danger in the Middle East. Danger to real humans living real lives as world leaders play and maneuver and lie and kill indiscriminately for pride and wealth and power. Our children's futures are at risk, as are the children of so many other people around the globe who simply want to live and love. War is a real possibility, though it might be masked with terms like operation or invasion or intervention. Destruction and death are too close. As we sit here together, hate lives and thrives not only in the wider world, but also Here in our country, anti-semitism, transphobia, homophobia, sexism, ableism, these are rampant and unchecked. Too many young people's lives are stolen by their own grief at being unable to live their truths or by the hatred and violence of those who cannot seem to accept that there exist others different from them but no less valuable, no less beautiful, no less special." As we sit here together, racism remains a central theme in American life, an inheritance as real as any in this nation. Blatant or subtle, physically violent or psychologically damaging, the racism woven throughout American society continues to tear at the fabric of who we are, at our souls and our morals. It continues to make impossible the realization of all that was best in those lofty American ideals set forth some 250 years ago. As we sit here together, technological advances that have made so many wonderful things possible are just now beginning to be checked and brought into the same sorts of social contracts that we attempt to operate with offline. The anonymity and distance of our globally connected world seems to continue to encourage the privilege of cruelty without the responsibility of critical engagement with the truth. The world is quite hard to bear right now. Breathe. (coughs) Breathe. We are in a moment that we might call, in the context of a story, a moment of rising action. The inciting incidents happened years ago. It was the invention of the computer, the Industrial Revolution, the move to a capitalist economy, the moment one human decided they could own another the drawing of lines and divisions between people, the second a person worried that someone else's thriving would mean their own decline. We are living now with the results of these long-ago inciting incidents and with our own abject failure to course-correct properly somewhere in the last 20, 50, 100, 1,000, 5,000 years of humanity. We've arrived at that moment when the arc rises, when the stakes become impossibly high, when the outcome remains unknown. Now, it isn't the first time such an arc has occurred. The story of human history comes in cycles. We see this when we look back. Times of horror and of goodness, crises followed by periods of growth. I believe in those circles, those cycles, that the story comes around and around again. The world has been hard to bear before. We all know that. Some of us know it better than others. And while there's comfort in hearing that and in saying it to each other, comfort in knowing that statistically the world is less violent than it ever has been, the reality is that we are in a different moment. And that's a truth that cannot be denied. We live in a time of connection unlike any other in the history of the world. Not only are we connected in ways my grandparents could never have dreamed of, things like the internet and phones and broadcasting, our world is more connected than it ever has been in terms of the very health of the earth itself. Technology has enabled a world economy and world relationships that have also enabled world pollution and world destruction. The times are actually different because what is at stake is no longer a single nation or a single people, though certainly that was bad enough. What is at stake now is everything. The level of threat has increased with the level of globalization. So yes, the world has been hard to bear before, but something different is happening now. And if we don't come to realize that, deep in our bones, each and every one of us, as hard as it is the consequences will be disastrous. I believe that now, in this moment, confronted by what truly is, by these real and present and very close dangers that include a deep threat to life itself, right now there is value in looking back, not with nostalgia, but looking back to learn the wisdom of ages, looking back to remember the words and memories that resound down through time and remind us That what we face, although it is unlike anything faced before, is not without hope. Thousands of years ago, Jesus is said to have taught that humility and meekness and purity, righteousness, mercy, and peace were virtues worth cultivating, worth embodying and seeking to deepen in the world. He was speaking to his own world— a world that valued wealth and beauty and privilege, a world that denigrated those not in the upper echelons of society, a world in which slavery and war and violence were commonplace. But the wisdom of that sermon is as true now as it ever was. Humility, how desperately we need some of that, how desperately our political and economic leaders need some of that. Mercy, righteousness, peace, How desperately our societies and people and our earth cry out for these. Mercy that begets mercy. Spirit that wills the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Pure hearts that generate enlivening love. Grief that cycles into caretaking and kindness. These truths are as real as they ever were, and we need them now. These truths, though, were too often co-opted and distorted by corrupt systems of hierarchy and power, misused and mishandled, misread and mispreached. But all throughout the last 2,000 years, there have also been those who saw these truths for what they were, words of wisdom, stories that liberated, that freed, and that could form the religious and theological basis for spirit-filled, righteous, faithful people the change the world with their words and deeds these truths when remembered helped fuel movements for change and progress anything good can be mangled by the wrong hands but in the right hands in the right hands it can help us push past the arc of rising action into a life-giving resolution these jesus spoken truths give rise in time to justice movements of liberation leaders of the civil rights movement including martin luther king jr were devout christians whose faith was informed not by the centuries of corruption but by these original words that spoke wisdom about how we live each of us day to day and the story of jesus gave rise to deep belief in the possibility of redemption and liberation for all in hope one of king's most famous and oft-quoted lines is that adaptation of the Unitarian minister Theodore Parker's words, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Along that arc, cycles recur and truths get reshaped and restated and new truths are captured. We have seen liberation movements, revolutionary movements, and we have seen them succeed. We've seen teachers like King, we have seen theologians like Cornel West take these truths and give them Resonance and depth for the crises we face today. West teaches that the benchmark of wisdom is the courage to examine oneself fearlessly, just as the hallmark of maturity is the courage to exercise constant humility in the pursuit of a noble cause greater than oneself. We have modern movement leaders like the Reverend William Barber who preached tirelessly about the real possibility of change and the necessity of creating a better world, preaching things like, we must shock this nation with the power of love. We must shock this nation with the power of mercy. We must shock this nation and fight for justice for all. There is a long lineage from which these justice movements come, from which these truths re-spoken come. As strange as it may seem to us, here with our dinosaur-stained glass windows, reminding us of the value of science and reason, the truth of evolution, and the earth's very formation, there's a reason that the window in the Philadelphia congregation quotes the Beatitudes. Because those truths, that wisdom, is ours too. We Unitarian Universalists count among our many sources Jewish and Christian teachings. We also count science and reason, our own direct experience, the wisdom of world religions, the actions of prophetic people through time, the truths the earth itself has to teach us. We draw wisdom from wherever we can and we commit ourselves to justice, and we do this for a reason. Because those perennial truths once taught about kindness and compassion have been expanded and deepened over centuries of thinking, over centuries of theological development, over centuries of human living. We are one of the results. Our Unitarian forebears believed in the unity of all things and in the beauty of human potential. They believed that what we do impacts others and their acts impact us. Our universalist ancestors believed that love is the force that animates all things and that our work here on this earth is to make love the center, to create a heaven right here, right where we are, by being true forces of love. When you view the world in this way, believing wholeheartedly in our oneness and in the power of love, you cannot help but find yourself with a commitment to justice and with a faith that is theologically open, non-dogmatic, non creedal and covenantal. It feels to me that where we are is a logical step of pushing hard on the depth of the unity and the love. We move ever toward something that calls us into community and asks not belief, but commitment. At the core of our religion is a sense of its own aliveness, the idea that it is ever evolving and expanding. There's nothing static about who we are. Our sources can deepen and change with time and human innovation, and our principles themselves can change and expand. At the core of our living religion is the idea of movement, of looking back in order to move forward, of using what works to make meaning and to live life well. And because of this, our religion has a breath that allows you and me and everyone to hear the wisdom of ages and to make it our own. It gives us the freedom to access that wisdom however we choose but it asks of us a commitment to principles that are, in some ways, based in the wisdom of ages and are themselves a guide for living, as aspirational but also as real as the guide for living laid out in the Sermon on the Mount. I think often about what would happen if we actually took our principles to their furthest point. If we actually said, every single day, Every moment, every interaction I have, every choice I make, every vote I cast, I will absolutely stick to these seven principles. Every single one of our lives would change drastically. Our possessions, our wealth, our behavior, our everything would change. And God knows, I think all of the time about how that isn't likely to happen. Not for me or for any of us, not many of us, and I include myself in this, are willing to change everything about our lives. Even knowing what's at stake. Not many of us will risk everything to see justice. But, and here's the heart of where I find myself today and most days lately, what we are doing simply isn't enough. It isn't enough. So we have to quit messing around. The fear can make us feel overwhelmed and paralyzed, but it's just too bad. Because what we've been doing isn't enough. So I'm not asking you to stop driving your car or give away all your wealth or spend every day at a protest, though indeed the day may come when that is what is called for. But I am asking you and myself to quit messing around. Because, honest to God, the things that we face cannot be overcome unless we get very, very real, very, very quickly. Because truly, there is just too much at stake. There is nothing less than our whole shared existence at stake when it comes to climate change. There's nothing less than human dignity at stake when we allow ignorance and falsehoods to pervade our discourse. There's nothing less than our moral souls at stake when it comes to racism and every other identity-based prejudice and violence that plagues our society and enables institutional torture and punishment. There is nothing less than real human lives at stake when we cavalierly enter wars to distract from foundational horrors in our own system. We have to quit messing around. I know it's exhausting. I do. I know it's hard. But the horrible, terrible secret is, it doesn't matter if it's exhausting. It doesn't matter if it's hard, because those inciting incidents happened too long ago, and there is no going back now. So we can either wake up and make changes, or we can slowly ride this bus to places I know none of you want to go. So I'm not asking you to change every last thing. I'm asking you to change two. Three, if you're feeling bold. I'm asking you to get, as Cornell West puts it, a fire in your bones to promote the well-being of all. A fire that results from a real, deep love and a deep understanding that your own soul, your own well-being, your own morality and very life is wrapped up in the well-being of everyone and this planet. I'm asking you to do something, anything, please. Start composting. Stop buying single-use water bottles. Take a class on dismantling white supremacy. Read a book about income equality, and they make a decision about how you want to spend your disposable income if you're lucky enough to have some. Make volunteering a regular activity. Go out and register folks to vote. Go volunteer to tutor somewhere. I know some people you can talk to about that. Just do something. The Unitarian minister, Edward Everett Hale, wrote, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. Don't refuse to do the something that you can do. Do something. And look, I wouldn't ask this of you if I thought it was hopeless. You need to know that, right? I wouldn't ask you to do something pointless. If I believed that the end of life as we know it due to climate change was impossible to avoid or that hatred couldn't be eradicated or liberation achieved, I wouldn't ask this of you. I would tell you to go home and spend the rest of your days just loving on your people. But I do believe it's possible. I have hope and I refuse to give up. I refuse to ignore the wisdom of centuries of people smarter and better spoken than me. I refuse to deny the possibility alive in the Sermon on the Mount. I refuse to deny the truth that the arc of the universe bends toward justice. I believe in what Marge Piercy so beautifully says in that poem. It may not always look pretty. It may be the low road. But together, one and then one more and then one more, we can make our own world. I believe that wherever two or more gather in love, love grows. And that when we serve the good of all with love, we can change everything. I believe that each and every one of us can do something. And that the cumulative effect will be astonishing. This week, this week, a photographer, Mary Vorwind, walked through Colnoura, an area of the Central Coast region of New South Wales. And she found this, among other plants. She captured it, an image for all the rest of us to see. It's a flower blooming among the ravaged, charred wildlife. Life amidst death. Beauty in a sea of terror. Creation in the wake of destruction. It's hope. May the wisdom of the ages be truly yours. May you know the power of unity to create worlds. May a fire rise in your bones, a fire for justice and for change. And may you know the strength of love this day and every day. So may it be. Join in the words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but may the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the energy of action burn bright in our hearts until we are together again. We are each only one, but we are one. Go do something and go in peace.